This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. A lot better than this time last year. We uh, were a lot further along. We had some bumps in the road today, but uh, overall, you know, just a lot further along. We've got a lot more in, um, are able to kind of fine tune some things, tweak a few things here and there. So just, you know, feel good about the progress. You know, if they're not fired up, then they don't have a heart. I mean, you know what I mean? They better be fired up. I mean, it's, it's a, you know, we in the trenches, we're fighting in a phone booth every day. And, and if you don't love that, then, then uh, well, maybe it's time to move on. But I think every one of them loves it. I think the little, the crazy guys starting to come out of them all. And we haven't even started yet. You know, we're just getting warmed up. Still, uh, you know, pretty much on page one and page two. Uh, uh, everything's been real, real basic uh, uh, up till now. You know, fundamentals, techniques, things of that nature. But, but good progress. There's a number of guys that have, you know, develop, you know, consistency uh, of play and what they're doing from a good standpoint. I didn't come to Nebraska to play quarterback. I came to Nebraska to win, you know, and that's what Husker Nation deserves is someone that's going to put down anything that they care about to better the team and to better, you know, the people around them and not just them. And welcome to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan here as we put a wrap on the first half of spring practice. Nebraska will go on a a little hiatus here as uh, spring break has hit the UNL campus. And they won't be back uh, for their next practice until Tuesday, March 29th. Sean Callahan, Robin Washa, Dan Hoppen, and Nate Klaus here. And uh, we're going to break down just these first two weeks of spring practice and uh, what we've seen and, and kind of what stood out. And I guess my first overall take, guys, it's been pretty, I want to say slow pace, but very developmental. There, there hasn't been a lot of let's roll the ball out there and scrimmage moments. I mean, uh, we've seen – three, four practices up, up to this point, and there really hasn't been any live work done at all as far as takedowns go, Robin, and uh, it's been very general, fundamental, almost like two-hand touch football when, when the, the guys come up there. So they've kept it pretty simple from that standpoint as far as what they're doing. Yeah, they've gone back to the basics in about every sense of the word. I mean, uh, you know, Mike Riley kind of just rehashed their plan uh, on Thursday uh, for what they were trying to accomplish for the first six practices of the spring. And he said, basically, uh, they want to get a lot of individual work, you know, just one on one, you know, fundamental skill work. And then they want to work on you know tackling. And while they're not going to the ground necessarily, it's just basically just the fundamentals of getting yourself in position to make a tackle. I mean, they're really like just the most simplistic aspects of football Nebraska is going back and and you know focusing on because you know this is this is a time where Mike Riley said it himself uh they have an opportunity to do things that they don't have time to do in the fall camp or even in the season so I mean this is a good time to refine skills and uh one of the luxuries they actually have uh you know being a, a full year into the system uh you know when you're not trying to completely start over from scratch and you actually have a foundation to build upon you're able to go back and kind of work on more of the detail oriented stuff and i wonder if part of that too is the fact that nebraska is employing a different scheme of tackling this year a different way of tackling. it's interesting to watch when they do that tackling drill with this rugby style Mm -hmm. it is um and uh nate gary talked a lot about that a couple weeks ago and someone might say well if they're implementing a new form of tackling wouldn't they want to be doing that more in practice so they can get used to it well i think they want those defensive guys to get comfortable with it first before maybe they start you know using tackling more and more so guys don't get hurt and that makes sense well i think they've been able to build on on you know, the foundation that they laid over the last year or so that, that this coaching staff has been here. And uh, so it's less about, you know, learning 
you know, what you have on the team and more about uh, kind of building on what you've already installed. I know they've put in, you know, pretty much everything that they've already, you know, that they wanted to put in this spring. Um, and I think the new schedule has kind of helped with that too, being able to practice and then having a completely, you know, have a day off to, to you know, really concentrate on watching film and, and having meetings and then going back to practice that next day. Guys are fresh. Uh, I think they're retaining a lot. And full lifting in there too. And full mm-hmm. lifting in there too. So I, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're really going to see things ramped up here once they get back from spring break. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we, we talk about this first half of spring practice. And in the open there, you heard John Perella, Nebraska's defensive line coach, saying uh, the guys are starting to play a little bit more crazy. And I, I like what Perella's brought. I mean, he is an energetic, just dialed-in dude. I mean, he, he is not a guy I would I wouldn't want to be on his bad side. I'll, nope. I'll put it that way. He is um, just one of those very focused but high-energy guys. It was cool on Thursday. Jack Gangwish and him were even going through drills together, helping mm-hmm. each other off the field. But I like what he's brought this spring, and it's definitely a better fit, Robin. Yeah, yeah, he's a total no nonsense guy too, and, and his demeanor when he's coaching, you know, he's not you know a loud screamer and yeller, but he commands the respect of that D line group. You can just see it, you know, he, he's sitting there giving instructions to guys, and he has the entire group circled around, just listening and hanging on every word he says, and that's what you get when you have a 12 year NFL vet who you know was a a kid that came and was a black shirt, had been in those kids' shoes before, and you know achieved the highest level of success, and so that that goes a long way with kids when you you have a guy out there that has done it and you know has played uh you know for you know over a decade in the nfl and so that that has really kind of helped him hit the ground running with taking over this d-line group and you know there's there's no awkward transition there just because uh you know he's he's back home so to speak and and i think that that really resonates well with these players that he's coaching I think that that's maybe one of the biggest reasons why a change was made. I know a lot of people made, um, you know, recruiting, you know, one of the the key things why, you know, Hank Hughes was let go. But I I think that being able to to command the respect of that room and win over your your position room was maybe the biggest thing overall because you had guys like Malik Collins and Vincent Valentine leave that maybe if if there was a coach who really had the respect of every single person in that room – Maybe those guys stick around, especially Vincent. I, yeah. I don't think he basically any, said that at pro day. Yeah, so I, I think that I think that's been a huge. They just didn't buy in to Hank Hughes. There was no doubt. I mean, he was the weak link, and, he, and we had a great guy to us. Nate and I spent yeah. a lot of time around him. Always very professional. Always and very nothing, nice. Nothing bad to say about the guy. But he just probably wasn't the right guy to be coaching defensive line in Nebraska. And and they've got the. I mean, it's. A, I don't want to say they've got the right guy because they haven't played a game yet. Right. Two weeks of practice. But yeah. I think he's a better fit is the way to, to say it with John Perella as you're listening here to the Husker online show, uh, Nebraska goes in now with six spring practices in the books. Um, in general, Dan, when you look at the offense, um, what are your thoughts just on where they're at, what they've done, what they've shown um, as far as maybe QB running game, the running offense in general, uh, just big picture overall. Well, it's, it can be kind of tough to judge the running game when they're not actually tackling to the ground because a lot of these runs end up looking a lot more impressive because the running backs just keep running. Uh, guys can't actually tackle them. But I, I do kind of like what we've seen. Um, the quarterbacks have been up and down. I, I think we can agree on that. But I do like what they've shown in the running game, and I think that this coaching staff is getting more comfortable 
putting that into the offense and integrating the quarterback run game in there it's something they'd never really done before yeah and i think one thing that just for the offense's sake is really seeing how they're mixing and matching on the offensive line that is clearly the biggest question mark facing this offensive group and uh you know we've seen uh, some guys that are you know some the, the of all the position battles we're starting to see the top candidates rise to the top and i think when they get back from spring break that's really going to be a time for guys to, to have a chance to put themselves in position to win jobs going into fall camp and mike riley said it himself he said when they get back you know that's when we want to start to see some separation and really start to evaluate you know who we're going to put in a pecking order when it comes to those offensive line spots the, the key to me is that right tackle spot and yeah. in, in david neville and i think he's shown early that he could be that guy um, because Alex Lewis, to me, was the one guy they lost last year that you're like, man, he's going to be hard to replace based on what they have. And I think they've got the interior bodies to, to get by without any issues. But that tackle position, especially in this league, when you go play at Ohio State in, in the horseshoe, it's going to probably be a night game in November. You better have a good tackle against the pass rushers. Uh, Urban Meyer and some of these guys will bring at you in Big Ten play. Yeah, I think there's as much pressure on David Neville as there is – about just about any player on this team just because if not him then who then um you know nick gates is on the left side now now you're talking about sam Hahn, who is not ready i can say that based off what we've seen in practice christian gaylord is a redshirt freshman he's working at left tackle right now i don't know if he's ready if it wasn't going to be david neville you know i don't know who it would be for this line but he's looked good so far i've been impressed by his foot speed I didn't think that a guy that big would move as well as he has, but he's done well. And he's been patient about waiting. You know, David Neville knew it was going to take time, and he needed those three years. And he'll be the first to tell you. I think some thought maybe in two years he'd be ready, but he needed all three, and uh, thus far he's looked good. Well, we have a full show uh, on tap. In our next segment, we caught up with Nebraska's director of high school relations, former Husker player as well, Kenny Wilhite. He gave his take about the John Perella hire and, and just the direction of recruiting and in-state recruiting with us here on the show. And then uh, gave us a preview of what's to come for Nebraska's upcoming coaches clinic. You don't want to miss uh, with what Coach Wilhite had to say. We'll have more thoughts in on spring football. Robin Washett will give his take on the end of the basketball season. Then we'll close the show with Nate Klaus and, and get a rundown of Nebraska's junior day and then the quarterback recruiting as well as Nebraska hosted Jack Cohn, the four-star out of New York. But we'll hear from Kenny Will Height next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And we're back here on the Husker Online Show. And spring football means the start every year of Nebraska's annual coaches clinic. And uh, we're pleased to bring into the program former Husker Kenny Wilhite, now the director of high school relations for Nebraska. First of all, uh, Coach Wilhite, thanks uh, for taking some time with us here on the Husker Online Show. Uh, thank you for having me. Oh, yeah. Let's go into your duties first and, and, and kind of what you do at Nebraska. Give Nebraska fans an idea. You came to, to NU as a, as a coach, um, a defensive coordinator, and moved in here um, uh, and took this job. As the director of high school uh, relations, uh, what are your real duties with that position here right now? Well, there's, there's, there's a lot that goes into this, but I still do some of the recruiting part. Um, me, when I say recruiting part, that's evaluating, identifying talent, passing them on to coaches so they can evaluate them, and then uh, just somebody that we want to get a hold of and offer. We try to get the high school coaches on the phone or the kid uh, to call our coaches so we can offer them. 
Uh, that's the recruiting side of it. And then uh, the high school relations side is, you know, just reaching out to coaches, seeing if they have any prospects or trying to get them to, to practice, to come out and check practice, just try to build relationships with uh, local coaches, high school coaches and uh, junior college coaches. When you've got a staff coach uh, of guys that are not from Nebraska, and you're really you were last year the only guy with Nebraska ties. I mean, how important is your role at times to to maybe um, you know just kind of be that liaison at times with um, possibly some of the local coaches or local players and and get that information uh, to the staff. I, it's, I think it's I take pride in that. Like you said, as a former player here and being a, uh, able to be kept on from the previous staff, I was very fortunate. So. My my role is to try to reestablish relationships with uh, coaches that we kind of lost contact with in previous years, and then keep those relationships with coaches that are still uh, there's contact with, and then just you know try to if coaches come to practice, introducing the position coaches, uh, coordinators, Coach Riley, so we can get that relationship started and just make sure it's it's still there and and and, and build on it. What would your message be just to in-state prospects, in-state coaches, as far as if they had a guy that they think is Nebraska-worthy, what would you tell them right now uh, as far as what they need to do to, to maybe get the wheels in motion and, and do the right things? I, I think they need to first and foremost reach out to me, um, give me that kid's information. Again, I will pass that kid on to one of the position coaches uh, so we can get that kid evaluated and then start the recruiting process. Here, here's another thing. And, and I don't want to say this, and, you know, as a, as a former player, I played with a lot of guys here that walked on that were really good players. The, the rules have changed now. You can't have 200 guys on the roster like they had back then. There's, you know, NCAA rules that goes in, in that, that's now in, in place that you can't hold that many guys on your roster. So some guys may be left out of, of the loop as far as walk-ons, but then I still want to get guys that are scholarship-worthy to the University of Nebraska. And, and when I say that, you know, the, the guys that are on the fringe, the, the North Dakota states, the South Dakota states that are offered these kids, see if we can get them into this program and, and get them in the weight room, bulk them up and get them in two years, get them ready to play, play Nebraska football. And that's something you, you experienced, Coach Wilhite. We're joined here by uh, Nebraska Director of High School Relations, Kenny Wilhite, here on the Husker Line Show and playing here at Nebraska. You saw that firsthand. A lot of in-state kids came in the program that weren't developed like the Texas guys, but when they left Nebraska, uh, they were better than that kid maybe from Texas or California. And even you probably noticed that um, in your own days recruiting, um, you know, at the one double A level and in other places you were at before you came back to Nebraska. Yes. Yes. Again, going back to when I was here as an out of state kid, I may have been a better athlete than that in-state kid from Nebraska, but I didn't know the Nebraska way how to be a Nebraska football player in the weight room, off the field, uh, and on the field. And there was things that go in, in place with that. So they taught me what it meant to be a Nebraska football player. So in saying that, like you said, the kid may not be as talented as a kid from Texas, from Florida, or California, but you still need to give that kid a chance, an opportunity to develop, and maybe he will be as good as that kid from Texas, Florida, or California, or if not better, because I've seen it happen. You know, we – brought John Perella back into the fold, you know, as a former walk-on kid. He was a scholarship player from Nebraska to Colorado, turned it down, came to Nebraska and walked on. Twelve years later, he's an NFL veteran. You get what I'm saying? 
Yeah, I want to ask you, having Perella back, I mean, what has that done just to, to just to maybe the office and, and, and everything? Because I'm sure just the influx of former players that have reached out that played with Coach Perella in, in, in his era, um, it's just probably been great having another guy up there uh, beside yourself with those connections. Yes, yes. I mean, Perella and I were teammates. We came out together. 1982 was our last year together uh, here in Nebraska. We were both seniors. Um, just having them back, you know, emails I get, Hey, tell Coach Perella, congratulations. Welcome aboard. Welcome back. Welcome home. You know, those things, those things have, have really sparked a, a fire up on him, him, him and myself, you know, just having him back, you know, he and I, we visit a lot. It's like, Hey, let's get this thing going and uh, let's reach out to guys we know so they can help us with, you know, some contacts or some kids that we may be missing on. So it's been, it's been fun to lean on him as well as leaning on myself. We're joined here by uh, Coach Kenny Wilhite, the Director of High School Relations at Nebraska. And, and the big business going forward for you guys now um, is getting ready for your annual Spring Coaches Clinic. And, and you are one of the guys helping putting this thing together. Um, I know from my perspective, one of the things I noticed that's different right away is uh, you, you guys have gone back to having that uh, overnight. I know a lot of the local high school coaches do like to have that bonding time, uh, however you want to, however they use that bonding time down in Lincoln, but they like to have that overnight stay to have some staff time. And you guys went back to a two day clinic format this year. Yes. Yes. We, I mean, you, you sent out a survey and most of the coaches wanted a two day deal. Uh, they figured they didn't get enough time in one day to learn what they needed to learn or, you know, just pick up bits and pieces. So we went to a two day format and, I, and to me, myself, I think it's good, you know, because now you can get that interaction. So you don't see a coach or get to meet a coach on, on Friday. You can do that on Saturday. So the two-day format is good for them and also us. Now, what is the date um, and the times and the information uh, for coaches uh, that want to get into this clinic? Because there still is plenty of time uh, to get in. And, and let me emphasize, this is open to not just high school coaches, not just varsity coaches, freshman coaches, youth coaches, uh, people that help out with football teams. I mean, it's really open to anybody involved in coaching. So it's a great opportunity to get access uh, to practice, to the coaches, the players, and, and really have a weekend around Nebraska football. Yes. Um, to, the, the, right now, the, the dates are April 1st and April 2nd. Uh, the cost is uh, $50. It goes up to $75 after March 18th. So I would say if, you, if you're really interested in, in coming to the clinic, uh, get, get get yourself uh, registered and save a couple of dollars and, and have a, have a pork chop or a steak or whatever you want to eat. And, you know, one of the other uh, things that's cool is, is they do get to see practice. So if you're at the clinic um, on the weekend there, Saturday, um, anyone that's there gets to watch. And, and typically that has been a scrimmage. Uh, so you really get a chance to probably see more at that practice than you might see at the spring game. Yes. Yes. I would say you, you, you'll enjoy that Saturday's practice. Um, there, there may be some uh, scrimmage involved in that practice. We haven't decided yet, but uh, it'd be a good day to, to come out, learn a little bit that morning, and watch a little practice, have a little lunch. And as far as the lineup uh, of guest coaches and, and speakers, last year you guys had Mac Brown. What's a rundown this year of who will highlight the speakers at the clinic? Well, the, the highlight of speakers is Norvin Scott Turner of the Minnesota Vikings. They're going to be the keynote speakers, but we brought in. Uh, three coaches we think are worthy, um, really good coaches. Um, one from uh, Kansas City area, one from a junior college in Oklahoma, and then one from South Dakota. And as you can see, that's that 500-mile radius that we're trying to 
trying to get a hold of. And uh, I think they're pretty good coaches, and those guys will learn a lot from them. Well, that's great. Coach Wilhite uh, joining us here on the Husker Online Show. Uh, and one more time, what's the information if coaches listening here um, on the show want to get the information uh, for uh, the clinic? Where can they find that? It's on our it's on our website. Uh, it'll be um, Nebraska uh, Coaches Clinic, and again, the dates are April first and second. Um, the cost is of the clinic is sixty dollars right now, but as of March eighteenth, it goes up to seventy five dollars. All right, Kenny Wilhite here, our guest, Nebraska's director of high school relations. Coach Wilhite, thanks for the time. Let's hopefully do it again sometime. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, we'll talk more spring football next here on the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Patrick O'Brien is pretty impressive. He's kind of fit in and knows his stuff and operates pretty easily out there for a first first year. Should be a high school guy. He uh, doesn't look like a freshman, especially at that position. At this, you know, only two weeks into it, you know, there can be some real growing pains at that position. But I think he's picked up things well. He's throwing the ball very well, uh, which we which we had hoped for. We we. We think that he's proven us right in terms of what we saw in high school. Um, he's doing a nice job of spreading the ball around. And back here on the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Dan Hoppin and Robin Washington and Nate Klaus as we put a wrap on this first half of spring practice that was head coach Mike Riley and offensive coordinator Danny Langstorff talking about just what they've seen early on from Patrick O'Brien and uh, I want to get Nate's take on this because, you know, we've followed the recruiting and, and, and whatnot for a long time. And, Nate, when you look at what these quarterbacks have done that have come in, I don't know if I've seen a freshman this developed at Nebraska that's come in where his first six practices have looked like he's been here for a lot longer than six practices. Yeah, I mean, he's transitioned fairly well. Um, there's a few things here and there where where he's kind of, I think, maybe had to, to change up, you know, maybe what how he's been coached in the past because he has received, you know, tremendous coaching, um, you know, from some different, you know, quarterback gurus or high school coaches out out west but by and large i mean he he has transitioned extremely well i never get the the feeling watching him that that he's a, a true freshman and that he's should, quote swimming in it yeah that he's swimming in it or <laughs> you know that uh, a lot a lot of times the the classic thing to say about a guy who's a mid-year enrollee is like, well you should be getting fitted for a tux right now you know uh, I, I just never really get the feeling that <laughs> that he's completely lost and that he doesn't belong I think that um, and he, he's going to take make or make tremendous strides I think from now until fall camp but he's been impressive that is the most overused thing about the early high school enrollee this is a kid that should be getting ready for a senior prom <laughs> right now and I mean that has like been used a thousand times on every I mean it's not it's true but let's yeah, come up with some new material overused, yeah. <laughs> we used that when Kurt Dukes came in 2000 <laughs> was it 2002 he came yeah. early in 2000 he was the first ever early enrollee at Nebraska but let's talk about some other surprise guys or guys not necessarily surprises but guys that have just opened your eyes that you're like wow okay he's gonna make a big jump this year Dan who do you have I'm gonna go with Greg McMullen and this is probably a guy who should have been playing inside for the last couple of years. I think Nebraska just had such a need at defensive end that he played outside more. But he looks real good at defense. I think he's going to be a tackle. captain, too. I think he'll be a captain. Yeah, he definitely has the respect of his teammates. But I know that there was a video, um, I think it was a Keyshawn Johnson Jr. Vine, 
um, of him just trucking Dylan Utter <laughs> in a one-on-one situation. Yeah, he did that. He's done that like three or four times so far in camp. I mean, he he just looks like a monster inside. He always kind of looked a little too big at defensive end. Well, he looks perfect at defensive tackle. Yeah, I've heard his weights. I mean, even Perella said his weight was about 315. So I remember last year they tried to say he was 280, yeah. 290. <laughs> he was not. And I'm like, come on. But that's the thing. Like, you hear 315, you're like, whoa, that's, that's pretty big. He doesn't look... He's out five. of shape or anything. Yeah, he's just a big dude. All right, Robin, who do you have? You know, it's hard to narrow down just one because there's a couple guys on that offensive line that I think have really uh, started to take strides. I mean, first and foremost, Nick Gates is living up to the hype fully. I mean, he's been an absolute beast at left tackle, and I think Nebraska fans are going to feel really good about him uh, kind of being the anchor of that offensive line. But uh, across the board, there's been some names that have kind of emerged. I mean, who would have thought Corey Whitaker would be in contention for a starting spot at this point? And Mike Cavanaugh said it himself that uh, between Tanner Farmer and Corey Whitaker, they're both battling for one of those starting guard spots. And so he's really emerged. Uh, and then, of course, you know, Tamar, Tanner and uh, Gerald Foster is another guy that I think has an opportunity to win uh, a starting job if he continues playing at the level that he has. So uh, overall, as a whole, young guys that you would hope would step up and you know take charge at some of those spots are really starting to do so. And Whitaker has been interesting because he's been hurt mm-hmm. literally ever since he walked in here. I feel mm-hmm. like, oh, Whitaker tore his knee. I mean, he's probably had two major knee injuries at Nebraska. So the fact that he's finally healthy, he came in with offers, I believe, Nate, was it Oregon offered him and Florida? I mean, he had some big offers late coming out of high school. Yeah, he had some nice offers coming in, you know, coming in from high school and and really Nebraska was a team that got in on him fairly late because they they had a couple other targets fall off the board and so they were kind of scrambling and uh, they were lucky enough to to get in on Corey Whitaker and, and get him on a visit and eventually sign him. But yeah, he's he's a guy who's battled injuries pretty much every single year since he's been here. What do you have, Nate? Who are your guys uh, that have maybe jumped out that you weren't really expecting to or just have opened your eyes? Well, a couple guys uh, in that wide receiver group have kind of caught my attention. You know, you've got Jordan Westerkamp and Stanley Morgan Jr. who have been sitting out, so there's some extra reps to go around. And Darian Grimm, the mid-year enrollee, has cherry. Re- yeah, cherry. He's really impressed me. I, I mean, he's. Um, you know, obviously we know what he did in high school and setting, you know, the California scoring record and, and receiving record and everything, but he's, he's lived up to the hype so far, um, you know, through spring ball. I think he's been extremely impressive and maybe a dark horse there in that group is Brian Reimers, the, the walk on from Lincoln East. I know that he's been impressive. He's made some some great catches. Mike Riley said he could be basically Lane Hubby's replacement, potentially. Exactly. So, I mean, those are two guys right there that, you know, if there are, you know, prolonged injury concerns uh, that could potentially step up and, and help uh, alleviate any concern there. By the way, his name's Rhyme Dog. Rhyme dog. Uh, according to according to Levon Olson, he rhyme dog. I'll throw one more, just kind of totally random guy that just got mentioned on Thursday by Danny Langsdorf, uh, tight end Tyler Hoppus, Wayne State transfer Wayne's. from Lincoln Southwest, played with Josh Panderas, was a, was a great high school player. Yeah, really one was. letter away from having a great last name. Yeah, and so apparently he's uh, really fitting the mold of what they want that H back spot. Uh, you know, Langsdorf said he was a good route runner with good quickness and hands and. Um, really kind of just embodies what they want in that position. So uh, if you want to talk about like extreme dark horses that could factor into the offense, keep an eye on Tyler. I was always surprised he was never offered a walk on in Nebraska from the get go. I mean, he was a great 
walk-on prospect to me. But, you know, another guy I want to toss out there as we're, we're talking just guys that have jumped out here on the Husker Online show, Sean Callahan, Dan Hoppen, Nate Klaus, and Robin Washett. Has there been a receiver that's had a better three springs in a row now than Brandon Riley? No. I mean, no. like he has, like, basically rewrote the he, spring record he looks. looks. great. And you can see the biggest difference from my vantage point. And granted, they haven't done a whole lot of, like, you know, physical drills and one-on-one work but it's his get off at the line of scrimmage i mean the amount of separation he's getting before his route i mean even gets going is incredible compared to where he was just a couple of years ago i mean that strength and conditioning work that he's put in the weight and strength that he's gained is paying off in a big way and that's the that's the difference between a good college receiver and a potential pro if you're able to have that strength and be able to fight off press coverage and win battles at the line of scrimmage. He's 210 now. I know, and he 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 looks every bit of it and man, you talk about a kid with a bright future. He he's as good up as any player on the roster. On that receiver position, Alonzo Moore too. I feel like he kind of gets lost in the shuffle we talk about all these guys. Alonzo Moore's looked really good as well. And Westercamp uh, being out, Riley's had to play the slot, so mm-hmm. he's been able to kind of diversify his portfolio and, and and play all the positions and He's been a real mismatch in the slot. I mean, mm-hmm. when he when he's going inside on those nickels, um, those guys have they can't all, cover him. They can't cover him, and um, it's I mean, especially because they're they're light right now at safety. They don't have that many safeties, so you're you're seeing some walk on safeties, and, and they're just getting. I mean, it's like an and one mixtape video with him in the middle <laughs> trying to those guys trying to guard him. Yeah, he's worked over Kyron Williams a couple times too. All right, well, when we come back here on the Husker Online Show, uh, we're going to shift the, the focus over to basketball. Nebraska basketball ended the season at 16-18. and 18. They declined postseason opportunity. The next focus will be on recruiting. We'll get Robin Washett's take on all that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And back here on the Husker Online Show, we've talked plenty of spring football, including uh, we heard from Nebraska Director of High School Relations, Kenny Wilhite. But uh, we're going to shift over and, and do one more basketball segment here. We missed out on basketball talk last week because of the Big Ten tournament in Indianapolis and fresh back from Nebraska's uh, mini run they made out there in Indy where uh, they beat Wisconsin, uh, got a huge win in that game, and obviously they beat Rutgers the first night. And they played Maryland fairly tough as Robin Washett. First of all, Robin, uh, uh, were you surprised? I mean, did you think Nebraska, when you were out in Indianapolis, had a chance to, to make a run like that? Well, winning that first game was really no surprise. And then you add in how they kind of just putzed around through the first 20 minutes of that game and made it much closer than it needed to be. Uh, to project them to go off and, you know, not only beat Wisconsin, but do it in the manner in which they did, where, you know, their defense kind of controlled the Badgers from the opening tip until the final buzzer. I don't know if anybody really would have seen that coming, especially to have that type of effort coming off, you know, losing five straight regular season games to to close out the year, um, losing nine of their last 11 games and really kind of not showing much fight uh, at all. So to, to, to bounce back the way they did was certainly a surprise. And then, like you said, that Maryland game, I don't know if there's many teams in college basketball in general that would have been able to keep up with the Terrapins that night with the way they were shooting. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. We're talking with Robin Washett as we put a wrap on this Nebraska basketball season. They were 16-18 and 18 overall. As far as expectation levels within the conference, Nebraska finished about where most people thought. I think a 6-8 to eight win barometer in the 
league is where the uh, projections were. You play 18 conference games. I think some people thought this could maybe be an 8-10 and 10 team in the league, 7-11, uh, and 6-12. and 12. Uh, When you look at the big picture overall, um, were they about where you thought, you know, take away some of those non-conference moments? Yeah, I'm not surprised with the final result, but when you look back in the manner in which that record came about, there are a lot of missed opportunities. And you, you could make a, a really strong argument that uh, their record should have been better than it was. I mean, look at the start of Big Ten play. That dropped two straight games against Northwestern they should have won, and even Indiana. They would have been able to pull that game off. That could have been a season-changing The Michigan game win. at yeah, the time. The Michigan game on Avery Strong Day when they had all the momentum in the Michigan world. Michigan played lights out yeah, that day. Yeah, and so it was just one of those. And you look back, look, they lost to Miami in overtime, who's now a three-seed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, the, And who was their one really bad non-conference loss to? Oh, uh, Samford. Samford. Yeah, so that they were terrible. That, that game, that should have never happened, and uh, that's one you just can't excuse. But, uh, I mean, they, they beat a good Rhode Island team, and, uh, you know, the— they, they had some some chances to really you know change the whole tone of this season, but the theme of the year was not being able to make the winning plays down the stretch when they had to, and it cost them time and again. You know, there was maybe the one instance against Michigan State uh, where they were really able to do that, and then Wisconsin, the Big Ten tournament. But other than that, they let a lot of opportunities slip through their fingers, and uh, you know, that's a reason why people feel so disappointed. Granted, going into the year, a lot of people projected them to be this type of record, but, uh, the way that, you know, they let so many chances go, uh, to get there, I think makes it even more disappointing than it would be otherwise. And you look at the difference, Robin, I mean, you win the Sanford game, maybe you'd split Northwestern Indiana and, and get another one in there. That's the difference probably between an NIT bid sure. and, and, and where they're at right now. Sure. I mean, and you could throw, pull any of those games out of a hat and say, if they win this, what does this do to change the whole dynamic of the season? And, uh, unfortunately, you know, like I said earlier, it's, it was just a, an entire season's worth of missed opportunities, and that's what makes this year so frustrating because uh, this team was better than what their record indicated. I think most people that you know saw them play when they were playing at their best, you know, especially you know that Michigan State game where they won four straight games in Big Ten play, they showed that they can compete in this conference and should have been much better than what their record showed, but. Fact of the matter is, if you don't make the plays when they absolutely matter the most, you know you're going to end up with these types of results. And Nebraska declines postseason, mm-hmm. which meant the CBI or the Vegas Eight, whatever you want to yeah. call that thing, now the Vegas Sixteen, uh, they could have probably played in, in, in both those events. And when you saw the brackets released. Uh, not one major conference team mm-hmm. is a part of any of those fields. I mean, really, the most notable names in the CBI, CIT, Vegas 16 would be Mac schools. Yeah. You have Nevada playing in Ohio, one of them. Ohio, Nevada. Uh, and I want to say Duquesne. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, and UNO played Duquesne. By the way, UNO scored 80 points in the second half, and they lost that game. Uh, talk about bad. It was like 120 to 112, and they scored 80 in the second half. But um, <laughs> that's that's uh, low-level postseason basketball at yeah, its exactly. finest. Yeah, and you know, I know there were a lot of people that were upset that Nebraska opted not to continue on because uh, there's an argument, and certainly one that's justifiable, that with a young team like this, you know, why would you want to turn down an opportunity to not only play more games, get more practices, but experience postseason play? You know, regardless of the level, uh, to be put in a tournament type situation and just have that experience, uh, I think would have had a lot of value, but. In the grand scheme of things, I don't. I think the pros were severely outweighed by the cons. I mean, not only is Nebraska, if they played in the CBI, 
would they have to pay for each one of their home games? They bring in, you know, some mid-major, low-level team that uh, is basically uh, you win the game. Yeah, half full you're, arena. You're supposed, if that. yeah, yeah. You're hardly going to bring anybody in on a Tuesday night. Uh, you win the game. Yeah, that's what you're supposed to do. You lose, and it's an epic disaster to end your season after finally getting some good positive vibes with your run in the Big Ten tournament. And then the thing that you know really decided it, though, it, you know, regardless of what opportunity postseason could have been. The guys were gassed. They were gassed physically and emotionally. The Spain trip. People forget about that. Yeah, I mean, that, that was an extra four games and ten practices that they had before the season even began. That was in August, right? Yeah, uh, July. Yeah, July, August. Anyway, they, uh, yeah, so, so they, I mean, they, they played against competition out there probably much better than they would have seen uh, in the CBI or Vegas 8. Uh, and so, I mean, guys, that, that was, they played almost 40 games before all was said and done. And then you add in you know, however long the run was going to be. Uh, I mean, even to make it to the CBI championship, then it's a best of three series where it's a, a guaranteed home and a guaranteed road. Uh, I mean, that's just a, a long, long haul for, you know, a team that was, you know, just let's face it, they were shot. You know, they, their their legs were gone. They were beat up. Andrew White was playing through a shoulder injury that was so bad it was requiring uh, quarter zone shots. Uh, Glenn Watson was a freshman that, you know, was obviously showing the wear and tear. Uh, you know, Siobhan Shields, of course, you know, coming back off his injury uh, in that Maryland game, he got dinged up and you got to wonder how uh, good he was feeling coming out of that game. And uh, when, when you, your legs aren't there and you have to ask yourself, should we or shouldn't we? That answers the question for you. If it's not a no-brainer decision, then that, that that's all you need to know. And I think the guys, you know, found themselves having to think about it and debate, you know, the pros and cons. And in the end saying, you know, if we have to think about this, then it's not even worth doing. And as you wrap it up, one of the other reasons, too, as we wrap things up with Robin Washett is recruiting. I mean, Nebraska yeah. is in the market for a big man, and and that has been what has held this program back um, for a long time. They they have not had consistent big man post presence, and that they need that time. I mean, the two three weeks now that they'll have um, here in March um, could be huge, and and maybe trying to find that big man. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, with you look ahead to next year, I mean, the the potential. For 2016-17 is as good as Tim Miles has had since he's been in Nebraska with the roster they have already in place. Now, if they can land that coveted big man that people have been clamoring for for four years now, uh, that might just put this team over the top. And so, yeah, there's certainly a bonus of not having to worry about further postseason play to where this staff can devote its full attention to recruiting. the thing is, they only have one open scholarship at this point, but uh, Tim Miles said it himself. He would not be surprised one bit if there's roster turnover. Uh, the national average for guys transferring is two players per team, so Nebraska would pretty much be an anomaly if they didn't have anybody leave. So I think that there's going to at least be one, maybe even two more spots, if not more, that open up uh, between now and the start of next season. And so that means uh, this late in the process, you almost have to rely on that transfer market. And Nebraska's done a great job of hitting on guys in the past with Petaway, Andrew White, Anton Gill. And so I would fully expect them to hit that once again and get at least one center who can come in and play away and then ideally pair him with a high school kid like Jordy Tishimanga, who they're still uh, confident will come in to campus on an official visit. And then you add in maybe a, a guard that can give you some more backcourt depth. And so uh, there's a lot of different ways they can go from here. Uh, we'll see how many spots they have when all is said and done. But yeah, uh, recruiting is now priority number one. And I think that might be the best thing that this team could have. Robin Washett, great job this season covering Nebraska basketball. I know it was a long grind, <laughs> a, a lot of games, a lot of long car trips uh, for you around the Big Ten. So 
So uh, great job uh, of bringing uh, us coverage here on Husker Online. Well, my pleasure. And hopefully uh, we can get back to the big dance here instead of watching on TV at some point. <laughs> when we come back, we'll wrap today's show up with Nate Klaus and get the latest on Husker recruiting. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is HuskerOnline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Huge, huge day for the Huskers today. Um, lots of visitors from all over the place. Uh, major factor for us, I think, our, our coaches and our personnel people have done an outstanding job of getting a lot of people here. And back here on the final segment of the Husker Online Show, that was Nebraska head coach Mike Riley talking about Nebraska's junior day and just the, where recruiting is at right now. Sean Callahan here with Nate Klaus now as we put a wrap here in the final segment. And first of all, Nate, Nebraska did get to commit last week from four-star wide receiver Javon McQuitty out of Columbia, Missouri. And to me, this shows you how much recruiting is about relationships. Nebraska offered this kid a year ago at the spring game. They were his first offer, I believe. They've kept that relationship, and boom, he commits about a year later. Absolutely. <clears throat> you, you mentioned it. They're the very first school to offer. And, you know, what better time to do it than at the spring game when you have 76,000 people in the stands for, a, you know, a glorif glorified practice. So that made a huge impression. And then um, Keith Williams went, you know, basically stayed in touch with Javon McQuitty almost on a daily basis ever since then. And they built up a relationship that was pretty much um, indestructible. And, and I, I think it really came down to him wanting to see Iowa and Missouri yeah, this spring to, to basically validate that Nebraska was a place for him. And he took trips to those two places. And following that, he, he knew that Nebraska is where he wanted to be. So he committed, right, you know, basically as soon as he got on campus for the junior day. And how important is it, Nate, just to get ahead of kind of the pack? Because a guy like this, a four-star, if you can get him locked up before spring evaluation starts, you maybe prevent a Michigan or a Florida or an other program maybe that would cherry-pick um, and come in there to try to get a four-star out of Missouri, those teams now probably won't go in there. So I think it's huge to get this locked up in March. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's a key guy in the 500-mile radius. You know, he already had an offer from Michigan, so that was a big recruiting win for Nebraska. Obviously, getting him out, literally out of the backyard of Missouri was big, and getting him away from Iowa was also big. But, yeah, you're, you're right. There was a number of you know bigger programs that I think were, were probably you know going to be stopping through his high school this spring. Uh, to see him in person and get an eyeball on him before they offered, and and now they'll probably change those plans. So that was that was absolutely huge for Nebraska to to get this kid in the boat. And he's a guy. I mean, he's arguably the top player in the state of Missouri for next year. So uh, he's a guy that carries a little bit of weight, and I think is is planning to do some recruiting for the Huskers. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we put a wrap on Nebraska's junior day. The Huskers get their second commitment of the 2017 class, but uh, things are really moving forward. Nate Keyshawn Johnson Jr will make his announcement on Tuesday um, or Wednesday, March 23rd next week via Bleacher Report video. Um, and it, it's kind of, ch I chuckle when people say, well, where do you think he's going to go? And I, it's, it's kind of to the point where um, it's almost becoming the worst kept secret in the world because there's no other team that he's shown the interest level uh, to Nebraska that you could argue would be a, even a runner up at this point. Yeah, I mean, if you followed Nebraska recruiting for any period of time, 
Um, I, you'd be hard pressed to name another kid from California that has visited Lincoln, Nebraska six times in, in, in a span of 12 months. And that's exactly what Keyshawn Johnson Jr. has done. And I mean, if you, if you follow his recruitment, I, I think all signs point to Nebraska being the place, you know, from as many times as he's been on campus to the, the type of relationship that he has with Mike Riley and, and that the relationship Riley has with Keyshawn Sr. So, um, you know, everything kind of is, is pointing Nebraska's direction. And, and I think that it'll be, this will be a very big commitment for the Huskers because not only is he a four-star receiver, that's a very good player, but he carries a lot of cash, uh, cachet out, out in the West coast and is connected to a number of different players, big time players. Yeah, he comes with a lot of potential accessories. Exactly. So, I mean, if you're able to land this big fish, um, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be sitting pretty, I think, uh, going forward forward through the recruiting process and um you know it'll be exciting to, i think for nebraska fans to 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 see the video and to finally have him in the boat because this has been a kid that i think more fans have followed this recruitment than than of anybody else in, in recent memory that i that i can recall yeah and that is the key for recruiting and the 05 class had this too a long time ago um, i know some people probably remember that uh, it was over 10 years ago but you know, guys that in March, April, May, you knew their names. And and that's kind of where this class is at. And uh, I think quarterback is still the big question. And Nebraska Nate is in a position at quarterback that they haven't been in in a long time where they're kind of holding the cards with two four-star guys really kind of playing them against each other in some ways. And Tristan Jebbia out of Calabasas, California, and then Jack Cohn, the talented four-star out of New York. Cohn visited this week Jebbia uh, the week before. What is your take right now on this situation with the quarterbacks? Well, you know, it's pretty fascinating when you look at it uh, and how Nebraska's kind of gotten to this point. And um, there's no question that Jebbia and Cone are, are right at the very top of Nebraska's board. Both have recently visited, you know, and both moved up their visits. Uh, you know, and, and got, they're they're both uh, very aware of one another. I'll, I'll put it that way. So, um, you know, Cone was originally supposed to visit for the spring game, but once he heard that Jebbia kind of moved his trip up and you know his process may be winding down, he decided to to go ahead and visit Lincoln almost an entire month earlier so that he could kind of not get left out in the dust, I think. Um, and it's hard to say, you know, exactly who they're going to get, but I do believe they get one or one of these two guys. And I think it happens, you know, at the very latest, maybe that, that first week in April at, at some point in time. So uh, Jebbia is supposed to be taking a, a couple more visits. He, obviously, he's an Ole Miss legacy, so I think that's probably Nebraska's biggest uh, uh, competitor for him right there. Maybe Washington is a little bit of a dark horse. And then Cone absolutely loved his visit. He's extremely close with Danny Langsdorf, and uh, he really enjoyed being able to spend a lot of one-on-one -on -one time with Mike Riley while they were on campus. Obviously, uh, academics is a big thing for him, so he, he enjoyed Nebraska's academic support staff and uh, kind of the whole life skills program that they have in um, you know, and he, he was kind of, you know, noncommittal on as far as when, a, you know, his timeline is. But I do believe that, that he's going to be making a decision here in the next couple of weeks. And, and I think Jebbia will, too. So, um, you know, it, it's kind of the whoever the first man to jump in the boat is, it, you know, is able to, to get that spot. It's really just like 2005 in a lot of ways when it was Harrison Beck, Mark Sanchez. And was there a third guy? I mean, that was kind of in that mix, too, when you go back and think about that. Beck and Sanchez were were the the top two guys that Nebraska wanted and they said they they said here's where we're at with things right now we like both of you guys and and the first 
to commit is going to get that spot, and we're going to shut it down. And, and Beck was the number one guy in Florida. Sanchez, the number one guy in California, and, mm-hmm. and they probably could have got either one of those guys. And well, they, they chose uh, they chose wrongly in yeah, that one. Yeah, Sanchez was scheduled to to visit that coming weekend, and I remember, um, you know, that uh, the coaches told Beck and, and Sanchez, "Hey, look, we're we're we've kind of narrowed it down to you two guys, and whoever jumps in first is going to be, you know, our guy." It was Bill Bush, or would it have been uh, Jay Norvell? Uh, well, Bill Bush was recruiting Sanchez, uh, and Norvell was involved too, but uh, Bush was the the lead recruiter on Sanchez, and. Um, you know, when they told Beck and Sanchez that Beck went ahead and, and kind of jumped in front and took that spot, you know, right prior, days prior to Sanchez flying out to Lincoln. And that was a weird year. It was a down year for national quarterbacks, and they had a chance to, to get two of the top five guys that year. And I feel like they're in that same boat. Uh, I know that these guys aren't top five, but they're top ten, I would say. When you Well, when- Jebby is top four. Uh, he's the number four overall rated uh, pro-style quarterback in the nation, and Cone is number ten. So, uh, you know, Jebby is a top 100 overall prospect, and, and Cone is a top 250 overall prospect. Both, I mean, there's not a lot of separation between these two guys. Both are highly touted players. And as we wrap it up here with Nate Klaus and recruiting uh, what was your big takeaway from junior day? We've already hit on the commitment of McQuitty. Uh, Keyshawn was here, but anything else that jumped out to you uh, as maybe an in-state guy that's on the radar now more or a regional recruit that was here that has an offer? Uh, what was your big takes from the week? Yeah, I mean, aside from, you know, Keyshawn Jr., McQuitty, obviously Darnay Holmes was on campus again. That was his fifth trip, um, you know, which is nice. Always nice to have a five-star who has visited your campus, uh, you know, five times in the last year, and and he'll be making a decision in June. But, you know, there's a really good group of in-state players, I think, um, you know, this year. And and guys like, uh, especially along the offensive and defensive lines, I think guys like Brett Cottrell, Patrick Arnold, Tyler Charest, all those players kind of stand out. Rudy Stauffer is an interesting prospect out of Kearney. You know, he's six four, six five uh, kid who who I think is going to continue to to grow and develop and uh, could turn into a, a heck of an offensive line prospect. So, um, you know, a lot of big bodies in the state this year, and I'm excited to to kind of see how things you know uh, go along, how the process kind of unfolds for these guys. I, I feel like you know the a Nebraska offer may not be coming prior to camp. But I tell you what, if there's some good performances at Nebraska's camp, there could be, you know, two, three, four offers go It'll out. be interesting, Nate, to see kind of how other teams in the region, whether it's Iowa or Wyoming or Ohio, uh, Iowa State, Kansas State, what are they going to do with this group? Because I, I think there are legitimately, as you said, seven, eight guys that are going to go FBS. Now, yep. Let's kind of separate the FCS offer guys the ones that will get the FBS. I think you're going to at least see seven or eight guys this year go to that FBS level. I agree with you. And, and I, I feel like Iowa State has kind of made a you know a presence early on. And obviously they've offered Austin Allen. I think they're close to offering a handful of other guys. I know they really like Jack Begley. Uh, they've been in you know a, you know communication with Brett Cottrell and Tyler Charest and and those guys. So it's going to be interesting to see what Iowa State does. Um, you know, and, 
And if I'm Kansas, I, I don't know what Kansas do, is doing, but I would be spending a lot more time recruiting the state of Nebraska uh, than they are in, in really even their own state. They they don't do that great a job recruiting Kansas either. But um, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot of fun to to see how things unfold here. And and I do think that we're gonna see a couple Nebraska offers go out to some in-state guys at some point in time, whether it be uh, before camp or or definitely after camp. Well, that wraps it up here for this edition of the Husker Online Show. If you liked what you heard, check us out. We're online at huskeronline.com with your authority on Nebraska athletics. Plenty going on with spring practice, recruiting, Husker baseball season now in full swing as uh, we'll continue to cover all these angles here uh, leading in uh, to the spring game here on April 14th. Thanks again for joining us this week on huskeronline.com, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 